Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you by The Minor Founder. I'm your host, Corbin Blair. This week, Kyle and I are talking about Get's major label album, Conflict of Interest, and Drake's latest offering, Scary Hours 2 EP, as fans await his Sticks studio album. We'll offer our patented cog ratings, discuss how we felt about these projects, and what's next for these artists. Hope you enjoy. And if you like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the show. All right, I'm back with my co-host, the man on the mission, Kyle Bodanis. How are you doing today, Kyle? It's good. It's uh, it appears to be spring out, although it is cold. Uh, we are move. We are trending in the right direction. Uh, I'm getting a little bit more optimistic about things. Uh, I, I'm feeling good generally. That's great. It's great to hear. Today we're going to be talking about some new Drake, and we're going to get into a little bit of Getz. Yeah, so I guess we'll roll right in and start talking about Scary Hours 2, Drake's second EP in the Scary Hours series. It's been about three years since Drake's last Scary Hours um, in January 2018. So a lot has changed since then. We've gone through a life-changing global pandemic. We're still in the midst of that. Um, He's put out three albums in, in that space. And on the first scary hours, he had God's plan and diplomatic immunity. So how do you think that compares to what we just got from Drake? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like the latest Drake projects, I mean, you know, I don't really think they rank just in terms of his, you know, discography. Because, I mean, I think the problem with that, with it, is that, like, a lot of these projects lack focus i feel like and like and i'm kind of looking at you there scorpion in terms of just like it's just a bunch of songs and there's some good stuff in there too like uh non-stop is one of my favorite drake tracks it's fucking awesome but it's just like the whole album in general is kind of loose and not tight and i don't think it's like worthy of the previous releases that he's put out like take care you know like if you're reading this this kind of thing even views i mean like dark lane demo tape like has chicago freestyle and losses on it there's some really good stuff but i mean i guess my problem is is that and i would take what i'm saying with a grain of salt because like i like the rap incarnation of drake so when i when it's leaning more on the r&b side i'm not as like game with it so for people who are the opposite of that obviously they would you know disagree but i mean i think that we are yearning for another great drake album but this scary hours 2 coming out uh, I, I, I believe is kind of like a little bit of a, a little bit of a nibble, a little bit of an appetizer for that whole situation. Yeah. I think him kind of dropping this EP post, you know, the date for CLB, which is, you know, his long awaited six studio album, he's kind of testing the waters again. And I feel like that is what dark lane demo tapes was kind of about. He had these songs that were floating around for a while um, they started leaking on the internet. Um, he knew that there wasn't really much to do with them. So he kind of put it out there, you know, gave us the TikTok viral single, Tussie Slide, which, you know, I think some people might call Drake's kind of most obvious attempt at relevance. 
because he's been so omnipresent in music for so long. And this was the first time, I think, where I would say it's a little bit of a misstep. And it was a single that was really geared towards virality and, you know, making it its mark on TikTok. So I think seeing someone of Drake's stature and Drake's kind of just the way that he's been crafting his, his career and his sound, you know, I think people have always kind of come to him. And this is, I think Tootsie Slide was a moment of him trying to go and see what his impact was on the culture. What about you? What do you think of uh, Dark Lane demo tapes and, and Tootsie Slide? Like Tootsie Slide, I mean, Tootsie Slide, like he doesn't have to force it. You know what I mean? Like he already works. And I, I, even though I just said that I'm not a big fan of R&B Drake, that isn't like you know, uh, an indictment of the quality of the music. It's more like just what my preference is for what he does. But like Dark Lane demo tapes, there's some really, really good tracks on it. But Tootsie Slide is him forcing it rather than just doing what he does. Like he already works in a space um, that is friendly for popular music. You know what I mean? So like he doesn't have to do that. And when he does that, that is like the first step in the you know on the trail to irrelevance and i don't and i was like sad to see it because like there is some like his body of works goes without you know goes without saying is is fantastic and expansive i mean like what what are your what were your thoughts on you know like scorpion care package dark lane demo tapes that run of albums like how do you rank that in terms of his career so i think in in those three albums i think scorpion was a major misstep for me it has some good songs on it but i think with drake we always know we're going to get something that we like i think any style of drake fan can say that if you are a fan of his more r&b stuff there'll always be something for you if you're a fan of his hip-hop stuff he'll kind of always have something for you if you like his more club anthem type stuff he's gonna include something on there so i think what a lot of drake fans have been kind of asking for for a long time is a more condensed version uh of Drake, you know, I think he really hit the mark on Nothing Was the Same. You know, 14 tracks yeah. was perfect. Even if you're reading this, it's too late, nice and short and concise. And I think that that's something that Drake has kind of always been a, a bit of a, a blind spot for him is sometimes he just gives you too much music and he's are always, you know, has access to kind of give that to you. He doesn't really, you know, take long breaks. I think he's given us almost like a tape or project or at least like a hit record every year since since like 2009 since he kind of emerged so i think if you look at care package and just taking it for the songs that are on care package it's probably drake's best album and unfairly so because it's just a collection of his best lucy's and some of his best work i think him putting it out that summer uh that he put it out in 2019 i believe it was it just kind of gave him you know he entered on the billboard charts again all those songs charted a for a lot of people they're always asking for songs to be on dsps these days because that's where they're doing most of their music consumption for me i love maintaining my personal library and having songs as close to physical or as close to tangible as i can so i've had all those songs for a long time but i do understand like the validity of being able to go and play the motion whenever you want on iTunes or sorry, on Apple music or Spotify or wherever you get your music from. So I think his, that three album 
run between Scorpion and and um, Dark Lane demo tapes. It was kind of Drake, you know, taking a little bit of a break, but without taking a break. So and I think that is something that he's been very good at. It makes me wonder, because interesting point, is what does Drake's career look like not in a DSP era? You know what I mean? Like, because you're going to naturally release less music as a result of that. You know what I mean? So, like, an album like Scorpion, I think if you take the 14 songs off it, and the be- like the best, whether it's a mixture of styles or whatever, there is a very, very strong album in there. And I'm wondering if... I, I think there's been... you could. I, I think you could say that for a couple Drake albums. Like, I, I'm a big fan of Take Care, but I, I think you could have shaven Take Care down to better album in less songs i agree with that too like take care i i think is measured by its influence but nothing was the same i think is the tightest one like from like a studio point of yeah. view and then and then also um uh, uh if you're reading this too you know what i mean like it's like i think those are the tightest ones but i don't think they have the same impact but i don't think this the impact necessarily denotes quality it denotes the right sound at the right time if that makes sense no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think like you're saying, like if you shave Scorpion down, I think there's a really, really good album in there. I really do think the whole Pusha T, this records that came up before it really shifted the sound of the album in the same way that the ghostwriting allegations shifted views. And so I think those are two times in Drake's career where he's been kind of a little bit off his mark and making music not from the greatest place or, you know, doing these like thinly veiled responses to criticisms uh talking about his son which like you know he wanted to have it coming out for and that was kind of messed up by the push of t stuff so i don't think he's making his best music when he's kind of you know off his mark there i think he obviously is one of the most talented people making the genres of music that he does so he's always gonna kind of have a high bar but i think people are still kind of looking for something that i don't know if he will give them and I think people want like an undisputed classic from Drake. And I think he's kind of given us, I would give, I would say he maybe has two or three classic albums by now. Um, and that and is how many more, how many more can you have? Like, if you're looking at it, right? Like, like if you're really looking at yeah. it, I want to get back to that point though, that you were saying just about when he is reacting to things like ghostwriting allegations, the whole push a T thing. I mean, some, some artists are okay working in that space. Um, reacting you know what i mean like someone like eminem can react um i think this is the problem the why his overall music isn't strong because the strong artists take the initiative and have a musical narrative that they craft and that they want to do and as soon as you're trying to play someone else's game or follow someone else's narrative you're not going to be making the music that is true to you that is you know that makes the most sense for what you're kind of do. And I think if you look at his albums and the way they've come out, he's followed his own initiative. And I, I think it's a matter of, listen, first of all, ghostwriting allegations, whatever that like, it happens in hip hop. Um, but like, he doesn't have to deal. I mean, the push a T thing was a big thing because like the whole thing, like this guy's got a son and all this kind of stuff. That's a whatever. But like uh, beyond that, he doesn't have to, like, he doesn't need to involve himself in other people's narratives. He needs to do him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And it kind of leads us to, to the next point I want to start talking about. 
So Drake announces back in December of 2020 that he's going to be dropping uh, Certified Lover Boy, his sixth album, in January. Uh, we get a great trailer from him in the vein of a Jay-Z commercial from, uh, I think, the Rhapsody era. Um, and so the album still hasn't come out. It is now March of 2021. Do you think that it matters when an artist of Drake's stature announces something and doesn't deliver on it? Or do you think that because of all his bodies of work that he can get away with that? I mean, the pressure comes from the fans, I think, and the idea of expectation. I mean, the issue is when you hype, like when an album is hyped or it takes a long time to make and you're talking about it and you're like, hey, we're dropping it and it gets pushed back and pushed back and it gets pushed back. Like there's a point where it's no longer anticipation right now. You are allowing people's expectations to completely manifest what the narrative this album dropping is. So if you don't meet those expectations, people are like, why did this piece of shit take so long? You know, and like, and that's, I feel like for any artist too, like imagine if Dre just dropped detox, that is obviously the extreme example of it, but people would be like, if this is garbaggio, then I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And I, I think that he has put out so much music now that it doesn't matter in a like overall sense, but I think it might be him who needs to manage these expectations more. You know what I mean? So don't talk about certified lover boy coming out and out and out if it's if it's going to keep getting pushed back because then people start thinking well why is it being pushed back like why is this taking so long all this kind of stuff when something like scary hours 2 he just drops and immediately people are like this is great you know what i mean no expectation he just hits you with it hard i'm i'm wondering too if if leaks have played a role in drake pushing certified lover boy back because i know um for what's next I know that song. I f- I heard it. I think a week ahead of its release, and I yeah. is probably floating around a little bit longer than that. Like I'm not usually one to dive into all the leaks, but someone had sent me that one. Um, so I'm wondering, like, the leak culture, I think, kind of doesn't hasn't really existed in the same way that it used to. Now that DSPs have kind of gotten involved, and you're kind of skipping a, a step, usually, um, where songs leak when you're sending it to a bunch of people and or whatever. So I think it's like kind of going distributor straight to the DSPs for the most time. And I think that's how like we're getting a lot of surprise albums. But I, I think, I guess, big artists are still seeing, you know, some some manner of leaks. I know like there's been Kanye leaks in the past. Do you think leaks hinder albums and, and hurt albums in, in this day and age? I think they've always hurt albums to an extent because, again, it takes away from the artist initiative of the release. I mean, but then again, some leaks have been used to kind of buy the artist as well. There is that variable that's put in. But like overall, I think, yeah, because like at the end of the day, you want to tease and promote and market as you wish along your timelines. And once someone takes that away from you also, like what is being leaked? Is it of a proper quality? Is it finished? Like there's also that to be thrown in there. Um, I think it's better, especially with these surprise albums, if you get the leak, it kind of takes away from the, you know, the really cool surprise element of it. So, like, I'm anti-leak. I'm not happy that leaks happen. I also think, like, that's been part of the problem with one of the many problems labels have in the digital music space. Because, you know, like, even going back to Metallica back in the day, you know, when I Disappear leaked, it's like, 
I can understand. I don't understand why Lars Ulrich is a piece of shit who isn't forward thinking. But him being like, yo, they leaked a song that we wanted to release. That I can sympathize with. Yeah, I think leaks are something that like can be a problem. And they can also build hype. I prefer yes, like 100%. song snippets leaking. I think that is a great tactic that artists use. And that's an example of it working for the artist's narrative, right? Like, oh, yeah. I, like, oh, I got a little, I got like 30 seconds of that and I want a little bit more of that. So I can't wait yeah, to check it out. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, for certain records, like I remember hearing the leaks before the records, like I remember some Yeezus leaks and then, you know, it built up a lot of anticipation for hearing Yeezus. And then sometimes they have the opposite effect where, the leak record sounds a lot better than what you finally get when you get the studio version. Jesus is a good example of like, that is the perfect uh, bits to, to release because it's such a departure from the other sound. So when you hear a bit of it, like I heard little bits of like black skin head and stuff like that ahead of that release. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This doesn't sound like a Kanye West album. And then you get blown and then you're like, Oh, then, you know, you're itching for it at that point. So on this new Drake album, CLB, what kind of sounds are you looking for? Like what, what's left for Drake? Are there, is it, is there any territory that he needs to cover? Is there things that need to be addressed or is he kind of playing par for the course at this point? I'm hoping he's going to avoid playing par for the course because that's how you become kind of stagnant. So I, I think again, these songs that release on scary hours two, uh, scary hours two, this is what I'm looking for from Drake. Like, is that, hip-hop you know deep bass thumping you can hear it in a club you can hear it in a car rolling down the street and that's kind of what i'm looking for from a sonic standpoint that's where i think drake's music is really the coolest is where he's you know he's he's playing you know his his voice is being put over like you know the the trap influence beats that he uses and the heavy bass and this kind of stuff and i think that it just works for him so much that's why a song like non-stop is fucking sick because it's it's not like he's going in there and cutting super fast or anything like that it's just there is a flow and a style and a coolness that he exudes in the rap space and when people are kind of like, well, he's not like Ghostface Killer or whatever like that, I'm like, well, then you're not kind of getting what the point is, because it is about flow and it is about the the way the song moves in and out and like head bobbing and that kind of stuff. And that's what I want to hear from Drake. That's what I want to attack. I want him to attack, because I think he's got to put out. I, I think he works high at his highest level when he's putting out great hip hop and. I, I would really love to see that more. I think I'm biased towards that sound because the charts would disagree with that being his uh, highest working uh, mechanism. But uh, that, that's what I'm personally looking for from a Drake album. So on Darkland demo, demo tapes, we got uh, the track War. We got Demons featuring Fivo Foreign and Sosa Geek. And then we got the only You Freestyle last year with Hedy One on Hedy One's album. So we're seeing Drake play in the uk slash new york drill kind of space do you think we'll hear some more of this sound on the album i hope so and that kind of just triggered in my head i mean yeah i i, I think i don't think american style hip-hop is his and the way it manifests itself is his future in terms of what would be the most interesting i would love to see him get more into that because 
I think the the way both the way either side of the Atlantic looks at hip hop is completely different, and I think a lot of it actually matches more a little bit towards what he wants to do and like what he his influences are because like he's not Jamaican, but he just comes from a city that is a listen if you're from Toronto, whether you're a cook or a rapper the the Jamaican influence is there there's nothing you can't avoid it. Uh, it's inevitable. So, like, I would love him to see work more to work more in that space. I think Drake's kind of always at his best when he is playing with new styles and and doing new yeah. things. Like, you know, from you know using UK funky to uh, bringing Afrobeat fusion or or you know Caribbean fusion forward. So, I think that Drake has always kind of been ahead of the trend and. Globally speaking, he's had a really forward ear, which, you know, obviously leads to accusations of culture vulture or whatever other things people want to kind of throw at him, you know, for kind of being ahead of the curve or for shining a light on, you know, certain scenes or certain sounds. Um, So I think that that alone, you know, outside of all other Drake, outside of all of Drake's other skills and, and accomplishments has kind of kept him at the forefront of music and rap because he's kind of, you know, always been able to shift and, and be ahead of, of the sound. And, you know, we all very often see his peers and other people in, in the industry kind of following his trends that he, you know, sets and leads. So I'm, I'm really interested to see where he goes on the sixth album. Um, you know, it's an undisputed run at this point, you know, countless awards, countless billboard breaking chart topping singles or whatever. So, I'm interested to see kind of where he where he'll go from from here. Do you think we'll see any of the songs on Scary Hours Two on the album? I'm thinking what's next might get a placement on the album as well. Yeah, I thought I think so too. And I was also thinking about the the little baby. What is it? Wants and needs. Yeah, uh, that one as well. Just because that's kind of like a high profile you know feature not that rick ross isn't but i mean i think it gets obligatory at this point you know we're talking obligatory rick ross uh so like i i think so yeah i feel like with the rick ross too it's kind of like a really cute verse he gave him like a 16 bar verse before like drake you know demolishes the rest of the song for five minutes of straight rapping so which i thought is that was fantastic. Really, yeah which is yeah great, by the way yeah which is like probably one of my favorite styles of drake or, or my favorite style of drake when he just kind of gives you un unabridged rapping, you know, narrative thought, just like flows and bars and intricacies. Yeah, I think you're going to see some of this stuff turn up on it. Like I, I will put it this way, it's not it's not a bad idea. They're all good tracks. So uh, how would you rate Scary Hours on the cog scale? Honestly, I'm giving it full marks. I'm like in like a nine out of ten, almost like a like nine cogs out of ten. I really enjoyed this. I know it was really cool about this, and I think uh, our good friend Eric, um, Eric, is it Zaworski? It is Zaworski. Yeah, sorry, I always I worry about mispronouncing names. Eric Zaworski, very uh, you know knowledgeable individual. I mean, he was. I think it was either you or him was talking about how it's cool when something comes out and everybody is listening to it. And is kind of like enjoying it communally, right? I think we're missing a little bit of that. It's playing at a at a club or a bar or something like that, just because of uh, you know, the global pandemic. But this idea that something comes out that gets everyone excited is really cool. And a lot of people were excited about this coming out, and 
I was excited. Like, so I'm giving this a nine out of 10. The only reason I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10 is I want more of it. Give me more than three tracks because you were three for three. You were good. Yeah. I think I'm going to join you on, on that nine out of 10 cogs. I would also say that is a really interesting point. And it's, there's very few artists who can kind of move the needle like that when they put out a release and, you know, Kanye obviously was up there at one point. And I think based on his last few releases, he's kind of uh, taken himself out of that conversation. So it'll be interesting to see what artists, you know, can kind of make the world pause and be like, Hey, we got to pay attention to this. Let's all talk about this one thing. And, you know, it's takes a certain stature superstar to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I, I hope more of this is happening because um, it's really, really fantastic. And it kind of reminded me of like, uh, you know, if you're reading this when it came out, because that summer, those songs were fucking playing everywhere. I went to a friend's birthday party at a nightclub and I'm like, the DJ dropped like four tracks over and over the course of the night and they were just fucking fantastic. They were bangers. Everyone was on the floor. And I, I just... I, I like that. I love what he. I love what a good release from Drake also does for for the city. You know, for Toronto, and just how hyped everyone fucking gets. So I'm hoping it's coming again. So we're gonna shift our perspective across the pond, and we're gonna be talking about Gets. The East London stalwart delivers his third studio album, Conflict of Interest. So Gets has been around in the UK scene for a long time close friend and collaborator of Kano kind of from the same group uh, both in the nasty crew um, and he's given us a, a run of mixtapes from the early and mid 2000s till now um, so he's joined Warner to deliver this album it's I think fantastic what did you think about conflict of interest it's funny because it went over my head and like in terms of I didn't know to like really pay attention to its release. And I also believe that, uh, you know, I I'm still beginning my journey into the UK hip hop. And it was something that I, you know, only for the last couple of years I've been really, really into. Not because of uh, a lack of skill or whatever. It's more because I just wasn't paying attention. And uh, you were like, yo, you got to check this out. And it's from beginning to end fucking good. I'm not skipping any tracks on it. It was really, really awesome. There is heavyweights on this album from just the last 20 years of, you know, UK hip hop. Um, feature, as I said, features are incredible. His lyrics and just the way he talks about taking the next step in his life and he, like the beauty of you know being a black person and just like his pride with that and wanting to create a situation where you know his family moving forward is in a better situation whereas people are moving forward in a situation and like with it you feel the you feel the council estate london situation as well as the idea that it, you can escape it and get above it if if there is focus and i really love that and i just thought this album was good and i just found myself listening to it all the way through skipping around i really think this is something i'm going to be listening to for a while i really enjoy it and then also like the Pasalu, like because you know obviously we've kind of been like paying attention to Pasalu as he's been you know broke into the scene here and just seeing him on that was really great too i thought that was cool yeah i think i think i agree with you know all that you said there like having possibly featured he really 
found, I think, the perfect balance of features on this album. You know, we have a lot of big name heavyweight artists here. We have Skepta, we have Stormzy, we have Ed Sheeran, we have Giggs, uh, Dave, you know, Wretch. Like a lot of artists that you know kind of from the scene. He's also, you know, has some R&B features. It, but it also does not feel bogged down by features. No, and he has a very it much wasn't, his own voice in it, yeah. Yeah, like, a, like it wasn't like an album where I'm like, oh, like, you know, another feature, another feature, another feature. Everything is, feels very interwoven and like it fits um, quite close together. What do you think? What was your favorite feature on, on this or favorite? Favorite feature was uh, probably toss up between. I mean, like, I'm always down for some Skepta. IC3 was a great track. And uh, I, th- I feel like, we're, again, for UK hip hop, it's obligatory Skepta now. He's like the Rick Ross uh maybe more prolific uh, in relative to the scene. Um, uh, I really like Skangman with fucking Stormzy and No Mercy, the Pasalu feature. I probably No Mercy. I just think that, you know, Pasalu is such a rising star and I, I'm loving that he's coming in on this. But I feel like Stormzy is like, was like my, is my, was my, um, in entrance he's kind of like hip hop he's kind of like an introduction for you right yeah heavy like heavy as the head that album really kind of like i had listened to stuff like roots maneuver and like that kind of shit and i was you know into that but you know that heavy as the head album i think what it was is is that like my brain and my listening taste weren't like acclimatized to drill uh to like um grime sorry uh so like when I listened to earlier Stormzy albums, I wasn't quite getting it. But then when I listened to that, because it's a little bit more um, American hip hop influenced with, I mean, the UK way of, you know, it, it was just rooted in hip hop rather than like the more electronic elements of grime. So uh, that was the gateway drug for me to get into this. And uh, it was cool to see him come up. Um, also, I mean, a big reason I got into it because uh, Stormzy's a Manchester United fan. If he's an Arsenal fan, I don't even think uh, we would have this conversation this day. Who, who knows? Um, so, yeah, I mean, like the, the, these were really, really good. Um, probably No Mercy and Skangman were my favorites. Yeah, I thought I thought the IC three I think was definitely one of my favorites on here. I really enjoyed uh, Dave and Hamza and Rich yeah. on Little Bo Peep at, at the end to round it off. I think this album was just overall very very strong, and I'm enjoying the kind of perspective like you were talking about earlier. We're getting an interesting perspective from Getz and from you know his kind of class of, of age rappers right where they're kind of reflecting on their lives you know they've had a lot of success they've kind of been there and done that and are kind of taking a look back and you know giving us some wisdom reflecting on things things that went well things that didn't go well and it really comes across on this album you know songs like auto- autobiography you know where he has a nice autobiography is like start is, the song off autobiography is one of my favorite songs on the whole album it's absolutely yeah. Crazy. I think like for me, I think that between that and, and Hop Out were kind of my favorite songs on, on this project. I thought Hop Out was really fantastic because it really feels like a West Coast G Funk uh, yeah. song, and it's found it feels really interesting hearing UK music on that West Coast G Funk sound because it's a it's it, the dovetail kind of makes sense just from an, like entomology or taxonomy whatever the fuck you want to call it just because of like grime and the electronic influences that come in from 
that so like g-funk also like compared to the rest of the hip-hop on say like the east coast or whatever like that during its infancy uh was more rooted in like africa bombada and those like electronic sounds so like it completely makes sense that those uh work together i was actually surprised just like at the like listening to uh rebel with a cause like his first album just the difference in just the difference in sound like because that is more like for me rude and grime and like elements of industrial and stuff like that and this is more or less straight up hip-hop album i'm kind of wondering why that why is that it for that development you know what i mean is that what do you think yeah i think i think it's kind of shifting a little bit like in terms of genre so i think you know these people are foundational to grime and to the sound coming out of east london um so i think kind of being able to have that perspective of done having done that music really well and built that sound it gives you a bit more room to kind of be like okay well now i know how to you know do that sound really comfortably well now i'm going to branch out a little bit um obviously they have their influences of what music that they grew up on what american music they grew up on what british music they grew up on you know also you know working with their contemporaries in the scene and what sounds they're playing with so i think you get to kind of deliver a more complex and well-rounded album after having that kind of lived experience of doing you know being foundational to the genre and then moving past it and then you know you can kind of come on an album at this point like kind of like Stormzy does like Kano does like a lot of these artists that are his peers do and give you songs that are straight grime tracks and that's for the like you know the day one fans you can play in the hip-hop you can play a little bit of UK drill if you want you can kind of dance between genres and it's respected now because you I've already done everything that there is to do within, you know, your one genre or your one uh, introductory style. So I think it works better um, for an elder artist rather than, you know, a younger artist starting out. Because I think people kind of have a problem when younger artists bounce around on sounds too much because, you know, if you're not familiar with that artist, it's hard to get a sense of who they are, what the real sound is. And sometimes that's the way an artist finds, finds their sound. But I think sometimes fans or even if that at that point they aren't fans, kind of have a hard time following um, at that point. It's interesting because I feel like if you're a new artist, like there is an influence that genre, like people who are fans of genre have, like for in, especially like in internet spaces, you know what I mean? Because they'll try to perpetuate that genre and push it out because they enjoy it. But as you like you said as you get older um it becomes like there's a tyranny of genre where there's an expectation that your thing has to sound like this and crossing over into a mainstream situation is the hardest or more of a mainstream sound if you will that kind of aligns with what the larger community is listening to so i mean i like that they're doing this like someone like stormzy and and him or do that because they can really get to a point where they can do anything right and you know and it's interesting the subject matter that's chosen in this because i think if you're going to look like let's look at like jay-z like 444 
is about like obviously there's the interpersonal stuff with him and Beyonce but a lot of that is a lot like this is what I've learned and this and it's not about the streets anymore and it's not about you know these stupid clashes of our youth because that was us being in a system that you know was killing us and now this is how we elevate and that idea of elevation is very much in this as well um and i like that they're exploring that and i like that i think that's what an elder statesman does in hip-hop you know what i mean like especially you know, given the circumstances that a lot of rappers come from, you know, from the inner city and like, and it being, you know, the way a lot of what goes on in the inner city is expressed, you know, to a larger audience. And I love that that's what he's doing with this. But then there's also this idea of like self-liberation and like how he feels about himself. And that's reflected in there. There's almost like a mental, there's a mental health edge to it as well, which I thought was really cool. No, yeah, I think I think the mental health and him framing everything is really it really works and it really bleeds through, you know, even on songs that it kind of doesn't really touch on it because it it kind of soaks up the whole album and kind of envelops the whole thing. So I think all the kind of different elements that Getz is talking about here really work well in conjunction with each other, even if they're not kind of uh, highlighted on every single song. So I think like lately we've seen like an explosion, obviously with the UK drill scene, we're seeing artists like Hetty one and frosty kind of, you know, start to make some crossovers. We have like people like unknown T um, the genre has kind of been parodied a little bit. It's reached New York, you know, by way of Chicago to London um, with a little bit of Toronto involvement in there. Um, and we're seeing the genre kind of explode. Do you think this will be the year that UK drill ends up in pop in, in some ways? Yeah, I think it's, it's too, I think it's, well, one, it's too like good. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think at the end of the day, any of these, any genre that begins pushing, and um creating stars like skepta you know like kano is going to find its way into the it's going to find its way into the mainstream inevitably in artists like drake you know what i mean like that's a, we were just mentioning how he's got an ear for that kind of thing and artists like him will always want to incorporate those elements in what they're doing i'm surprised more rappers haven't uh especially north american rappers haven't like kind of grabbed a hold of it um but i definitely think i mean like in the uk for sure because i think the the uk is probably a little bit more open from a listening standpoint especially for newer artists because um i mean if you look at the history of music the uk is always whether it's like blues influenced rock music in the 60s punk that kind of thing they're always you know new wave they're always kind of there you know what i mean they're always kind of the journalists are always looking for it now they'll be the first to savage those people afterwards but i think you know even like fucking grunge as a british journalist comes and listens to it and then comes back and then all of a sudden the bands are starting to be more, you know, heavier guitar driven and that kind of thing. So I think in England it's definitely 100% an inevitability um, in terms of the, the global, well, not even the global, because I, I feel like other countries have also really grabbed onto this, but um, in North America, I don't know, 
Like I, I, I don't, I still don't think they officially get it yet. If that makes sense. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So with like the younger kind of UK scene rising, we're also seeing, you know, people in the class and age of Getz, Kano, Skepta, DEE, these guys who've been around since like the early 2000s start to make a resurgence. And I, I would argue that like Kano probably put one of my favorite Kano albums out um, with Hoodies All Summer in 20, 2019. Great um, this Getz album, you know, is quickly up there for me in terms of Getz's discography. Do you and I think we're seeing maybe something kind of happen similarly on in the United States too with artists like Freddie Gibbs, who's you know 38 years old, you know, first Grammy nomination nomination, and he's definitely crossing over into the mainstream in a major way. You know, Griselda, um, all those guys are up there in age. Do you think we're seeing something shift here with um rappers aging out? Um, and maybe that not being so much of a reality anymore and people being more open to listening to older rappers. Yeah, I think there's a line with it, though. Like, Busta Rhymes dropped his album. It was okay. Um, no one really cared. Some people cared. No one really cared. Uh, but then... I mean, it also depends on how old, like, I don't know, like, it, it, we're starting, you start getting into, like, what is the perception of age? I definitely think over 35 is old from a musical standpoint, so, I mean, I think there is a better idea of allowing, you know artists to actually age in the industry. I think Freddie Gibbs is really good at choosing collaborators. Uh, he makes really, really, really fucking good music, although his lyrics are often about the same type of things. I mean, his work with Mad Lib and, and, and shit like that and Alchemist, like it just sounds really, really, really good to listen. It's a, they're really good albums. So I think if you're, if you can put out the music at a high level, then sure. But I like, I feel like that the British have always had a little bit more respect for their elder statesmen than the americans have because the americans like just from an overall music standpoint like i mean like there are untouchable artists in the whole scope of british music i mean like if you're a beetle a member of the smiths a member of radiohead or um or david bowie then like you kind of get a free pass and like the tabloids can say whatever but that music is rooted in english culture and i think this um era of uk hip-hop is becoming now rooted in, in english culture it's becoming it, it is having the same standing as or better standing than rock music counterparts so i think what you're what you're getting is is another like royal family of uk hip-hop that's coming out that's kano that's skepta you know what i mean that's dave you know what i mean like so I believe that the UK are a little bit more with it with that, whereas it's very dog-eat-dog, the American hip-hop scene. But I think, as you're saying, it's changing. Because, like, at the end of the day, the music that's coming out, like, how can you deny Griselda? You know what I mean? Just because they're, just because they're getting older? Like, listen to the music they make. Listen to what Benny the Butcher does. You know, like, Conway the Machine. Like, listen to what they do. And you're just good. You can't just omit that. You can't age out that music. I think it's really hard to not age out because of just the nature of it. But I, I think you're totally right with that. I think that, and in, and it should be like that. You should like artists should be able to grow within the industry. The key is is that the onus is then on the artist to be putting out music like Benny the Butcher, Freddie Gibbs. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Would you say like in rap, like, did you feel like the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, past a certain age kind of got dismissed or ushered out of rap music? I also think that rappers try to get out of rap music a lot. So like Riz has been doing other stuff, you know, he's been wor- he's been an- acting and, you know, doing films, trying to produce films and all this kind of stuff. So it depends on whether or not, like, I don't know, it's a chicken before the egg kind of thing. Like, are they trying to get out of hip hop ahead of them being aged out or are they aging out and then deciding because of that to go into other things? And then also the association artists have with the struggle and being in the streets, does that do they see that as a continuation? Uh, you know, so like, is the music be a continuation of the struggles of their youth? That's the question. And they want to get away from that by doing whatever starting businesses, which is completely understandable. So, I mean, there's another, a lot of different variables that are kind of put into that. Uh, I, with the, with the Wu-Tang clan, I mean, there's certain bands where you get a gangster for life pass being in them. Wu-Tang Clan is one of them. NWA would be another one as well. But I I, I think the problem is also Wu-Tang Clan's later records aren't that good. That's a problem. Like the latest, like the last Wu-Tang Clan album that came out a few years ago was not good. So it's hard to stay relevant when it's not that good. I also think the Wu-Tang Clan business model is probably not for today's hip hop. If that, uh, you know, but so I mean, there's I, I think there's a number of reasons. Also, like the way hip hop is devoured now and the way it sounds is completely different from the way it is today. And like Ghostface Killer is awesome, Method Man is awesome, Raekwon is awesome, Jizza is awesome, but their records don't align with the music of today. And I think that becomes a problem for younger people absorbing the, their music it sounds too different is is a big problem whereas i think someone can throw on the chronic and it's a little bit you know i mean it, it, there's there's um there's some through lines people kind of see rap as that and i think rap is very often you know ushered into that lane or or seen as as you know not an art form in that way um so i think as times kind of change and people are kind of seeing rap more for the art it is we're going to continue to get albums like hoodies all summer and like yeah. um you know alfredo and like conflict of interest if you can get to the if you can put out music like those three albums alfredo is probably gonna win a grammy tomorrow uh this conflict of interest is absolutely fucking fantastic and hoodies all summer like it's really good he didn't put out shit like later on in life. So it's a combination. Also, I think that the grime influence sound, because it's rooted in electronic music, it has more staying power, you know, for what hip hop sounds like today. I listen to like, I listen to older stuff around my little cousins and they're like, what the fuck is this? Like they, we were testing out my uncle Dave's system. And uh, who spends an exorbitant amount on system actually uh, invested extra money to make sure his speaker components were piano black. Incredible. So they put on sicko mode to try to test it out. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw on uh, ghetto bird by ice cube, which is going to nuke the bass in that because that is a fucking bassy ass song. And they're like, what the fuck is this? And like me and my aunt are like grooving to it because we're roughly the same age, but the younger kids just it doesn't translate to them it sounds like old music to them 
Yeah, no, I think that's the really interesting point too, in terms of like, because I think I like after listening to this album, I went back and uh, sorry, also after listening to Tehran by Slope Tie, yeah, um, I was listening to Dizzy Rascal's Boy in the Corner from two thousand and three, um, and that album still sounds super futuristic because it's a really same pure blueprint. grime album. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's it's completely the same blueprint. So like when when I'm hearing elements of, of that album in um, Tehran and conflict of interest they still sound modern and and to this day so i think that's a really interesting point in terms of the electronica and also making sounds that are you know futuristic and you know forward-thinking sonics so uh to wrap up conflict of interest what do you think you would give it on the cog rating i love it it's an 8.5 it's incredible i thought it was really 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 good i thought uh i really really i enjoyed it you know, there are just a couple little spots there where I'm like, meh. But overall, it's an incredible album. And I think everyone should listen to it. And if you want to hear kind of... It's interesting because he's an older artist. But if you want to see hear where UK hip-hop is right now, you can listen to it. Which is... Like, that is the big thing with, um, you know, aging out. Is that can that sound be translated into what's now? And you, this absolutely can. So... That's pretty fucking good. Yeah, you're gonna see some younger kids in England bang this too. Yeah, and and I, I completely agree. And I think this is an album that, like Hoodies All Summer, going to stay in my rotation. And I really appreciate when artists kind of take the extra time and energy into crafting it music and it sounds like a body of work. And this is definitely something I'm gonna be returning to. So I think for me, I will give this nine cogs and I will definitely be, you know, listening to this album um in some variation all summer. So, Kyle, I want to say thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Look forward to doing this again with you very, very soon. Everyone, thank you for listening. Make sure to rate us, review, subscribe, and we'll join you on the next episode of The Rhythm Section. Yeah.